0: Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim, here today with Lance. What's going on, Lance? What is going on indeed?
1: It is a beautiful afternoon here at the Crawl Space Studios. Everyone seems to be in a good mood. Tim, I feel like you're in a good mood as well. Can you please confirm these feelings? How are you?
0: How's it going? I'm doing great over here. I'm very excited to introduce this interview, this conversation that we have with the team from the Invisible Tears podcast. It's Jane Baroski and Amanda and Drew Bedard. Boy, Jane's got a wild story, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, she was the last attack victim of the River Valley killings that happened in the 1970s and 1980s. So the killings started in 1978 and by all accounts, Jane was the last victim of these attacks in 1988. She did survive 27 stab wounds, she was 7 months pregnant, and she is ready to tell her story, and a major part of her story is how she has gone from this horrific attack to healing and making that into something that she can use to communicate to others hey, you might suffer from PTSD you might have had something like this happen in your life but it is possible to come out on the lighter side of things, which she has remarkable story, remarkable team she's a remarkable
0: person And their podcast, Invisible Tears, is available now. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also go to invisible-tears.com. From trauma to healing is their mission, Lance.
1: Now, Jane Borowski's name might sound familiar to some people because recently we've been talking about our new show that Crawl Space is developing with her. It's called Dark Valley. It is about the River Valley murders as well, whereas we're more on the victim investigation side. Jane's show, Invisible Tears, is a more personal story about her journey and making sure that people who have gone through similar moments in their lives know that you can come out on the other side better.
0: And make sure to check out Invisible Tears' first couple episodes. They are out now, so you definitely want to hear those. And Lance, we have a wonderful premium service for our subscribers that is available. It's called Crawlspace Premium, and you can get it at crawlspace.supportingcast.fm. And Tim, what's this rumor I hear about a promo code for the first month? Being free or something? That's right. When you use promo code Crawlspace, when you sign up at crawlspace.supportingcast.fm, you will get a free month of Crawlspace premium.
1: Next thing you're going to tell me is that if you sign up for missing.supportingcast.fm, and use promo code MISSING, you'll get a free month of that as well.
0: That's right, Lance. Missing Premium is amazing, and you can get that at missing.supportingcast.fm. And we've got an Ask Us Anything coming up on Monday, September 12th at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's going to be a blast. Subscribe now so you can be a part of it.
1: And listeners, it's not too late to attend the Savannah Crime Expo. This is on Saturday, September 10th at the Dosoto Hotel in Savannah, Georgia. You can go to savannacrimeexpo.com com will be represented there there will be other podcasts there like la not so confidential and mind over murder and already gone and Santa maybe a criminal that's Saturday September 10th Savannah Georgia you can get all the information at com. all
0: right everyone thanks a lot for listening follow us on social media at crawlspace podcast or crawlspace pod we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. And a thank you to our sponsors, Back to the Program. Welcome to the podcast, Jane, Amanda, and Drew. How's it going today?
2: Going great. Thank you. For having us, Absolutely.
0: For people who are watching
1: this on YouTube, you'll see a series of eyeballs behind us. This is the logo to Invisible Tears, which is the new show that the three of you have produced. And we will get into that in a little bit. But Jen, Jen's sitting over there in the corner. Jen is the catalyst, the linchpin to bringing these people together. You've really worked with these folks on not only their show, but our new upcoming show. So Jen.
3: Yeah, thanks for throwing it over. I'm so, so happy to have these three people on our show today. Day. I'm so excited about their project. Um, we've been working together on a separate project, a super mysterious one that we are like, excited to announce in the future. But for now, talking about their show, Invisible Tears. And this show centers around an experience that Jane had back in the 80s. And
2: Jane, if you could just tell us what happened to you? In 1988, I uh, left a fair. I stopped for a soda, met up with evil. I was seven months pregnant and I was attacked and stabbed 27 times by what most believe was a serial killer.
0: Definitely want to uh, discuss that a little bit more. Before we do, I just want to ask a little bit about the project Invisible Tears and Amanda and Drew, how do you come into this?
4: So I've known Jane much of my life. She actually babysat me. So I grew up knowing her and I grew up knowing her story. However, I was not sure really how to talk to her about it. I remember being a kid and actually watching the Unsolved Mysteries episode that was released talking about her case, driving by Gamarlos all the time. So always having that reminder. And then later in my teen years, Jane and I were sitting around at a campground and just talking and Jane really kind of opened up, you know, more about what she went through the attack and everything that happened because she knew that I kind of had that intrigue with the whole serial killer cases and knowing her. And then I met my beautiful wife, Amanda, and we were kind of just spitballing, talking about maybe, you know, doing a podcast. And it was around that time that Jane reached out because she wanted to do a podcast, Mm -hmm. um, but she wasn't sure where to start. And her daughter recommended that she touch base with me. So it was kind of the perfect timing of Amanda and I thinking of doing something. And Jane was going to be the first episode topic. And then Jane also wanting to get her story out there. So that sort of snowballed into the idea of Invisible Tears.
5: And then after, you know, Jane actually contacted us, we all met up together. And that's when the concept of Invisible Tears really, really took off. And, and it really resonated. And I think all of us were very surprised at the timing. But yeah, when we all just started talking about the project, we were like, yes this is this is going to be fantastic
2: and let's start working on
5: it
0: so jane reached out to you guys jane why them why did you reach
2: out to them during the pandemic we were we had the shutdown and me and my daughter jessica just listening to pot different podcasts and she started punching up my name in the connecticut river valley murders and uh so we heard a couple of those podcasts and she's like oh my god there some of that info isn't even correct mom you need to do a podcast i was like i don't even know where to start you know i want to get my story out there but i don't even know where to start and she was immediately like contact andrew drew is super super smart and we knew that he listened to a lot of podcasts we reached out to them and we just clicked as a team it's amazing it's just amazing amanda's also my life coach my Reiki master. We had the same ideas and same concept of what we wanted Invisible Tears to be about. It's gonna be uh, almost like a variety show. It's gonna be about my healing and getting to know the other victims. Because if you go online, all you hear about is, when, when it comes to the other victims, is their brutal attacks and their brutal murders but you don't, you can't really see anything about them. They were real people. They were living their lives. So we're gonna dive into who they really were and what their lives were about uh, before their attack and before their murders, actually. Also, we're gonna be um, touching base with my healing because I suffer PTSD. If I could help somebody out there that also suffers PTSD, that's one of our goals, too. Even though you've gone through something traumatic in your life, which could be anything, you can still live a, a happy, normal life because that's what I'm doing today. And and I really want to uh, resonate that out to other people that have suffered any kind of trauma in their lives
1: well the tagline on your show invisible tears is from trauma to healing and when you started describing right off the top about your attack you said you you were stabbed 27 times you were seven months pregnant and then there's a pause and it's really tempting to try to fill that pause as like a podcast host to be like okay i gotta ask another question but Sometimes you don't have to do that. Sometimes you have to let that stick in people's heads. Like whatever was just said, let that pause exist so that people can actually interpret it and comprehend it for a little bit. And if anybody listening now, pause this and count to 27 and see how long 27 goes by. If you were to average that you were stabbed once a second. Like, that's how long that attack happened. I think I think that would do a lot for people to understand how such a short period of time can seem so long and can literally affect you for the rest of your life.
2: Absolutely.
1: 34 years later?
2: Yes. Yep, 34 years.
1: Now. You said before we re- we uh, started recording that it was on August 6th. So you just passed the anniversary. That's a chunk of time there that you spent healing to bring yourself to this moment. You survived. Your daughter survived. You're a grandmother. So now there's
2: generations you know my story doesn't just end after my attack you know my attack happened and it's not like you just get over it and move on it, you don't and as much as you know i wanted to i didn't you know i had gone through some really difficult times for the first 20 years after my attack my life was was a mess i got hooked up with some really good counseling really good therapy uh, that's when I was diagnosed with PTSD. That's when my life just reverted over to be positive. Once I was able to just really address all my issues that I had. If I thought I would be sitting here talking to people and, and opening myself up like an open book 10 years ago or 12 years ago, there was no way. I, I, I've done a ton of healing and, and I'm ready to get my story out there. A lot of people misinterpret what victims go through after they've gone through something traumatic. I wanna bring light to what a victim's life is really like. I've gone through gambling addiction. I've, I've received hate letters because <laughs> people were actually telling me that um, that was my choice to stop at the store and how dare I put my, do- my unborn child in danger. And But th- these are things that people don't realize that victims actually go through. It it takes a strong person to become a survivor, but it takes an extra strong person to actually heal themselves.
1: Totally, and I think it takes a strong person to invite people like Drew and Amanda into your life to help you and to say, like, I do need help. A lot of people just aren't properly informed with how that transition or how that uh, journey happens when you say, like, I was traumatized and I need to invite other people in to help me. So I think... You doing this show is so important for people who, if you're a family member, if you were a victim of, of some sort of a attack, some sort of abuse, there's a number of traumas out there that can be addressed in this show. I'm going to pass it over to Tim because I feel, I feel like Tim has something important to say. He's got that uh, something important to say face on.
0: First, I would like to know your thoughts on the title, Invisible Tears, and what that means to all of you.
2: I had a lot of things that I was going through. I cried so many times without anybody knowing. And it just, all of a sudden, just popped in my mind, um, you know, invisible tears. I, I, I didn't allow people to see me weak. That's what I perceived myself as. So I cried a million tears in silence. This was before I actually began my healing. Invisible tears, I, it came to my mind one day and I'm like, that's perfect. That is, that's going to describe exactly what this is going to be about, Invisible Tears. Because sometimes people don't um, talk about how they're really feeling. Because you don't know if people are really going to understand unless they've been through what you've been through. Invisible Tears came up and um, we ran with it. And
1: between uh, Drew and Amanda, what are the roles that you play in the production of the show?
2: So I am
5: Jane's co-host and I'm also a producer and the editor. Quite often Jane and I will um, have some sort of separate, separate, you know, one-off Jane and Amanda shows too, where we really do focus on like mental health and healing and different mental health topics too.
4: And then I'm sort of the third, Mike, bringing that sort of different aspect, being a man with two women on the podcast Um, and also producer and researcher for
3: us. I just want to make a quick comment on the amazing dynamic between the three of you. So often chemistry has to be forced. You three are friends. You talk daily, you crack each other up and you understand each other's pain. Amanda and Drew, you guys have made it possible. I mean, Jane, correct me if I'm wrong, for Jane to really open up in that space and create a safe space. So it's just like A beautiful thing to behold listening to you three talk through these things and give other people who may be experiencing similar trauma, similar pain, to listen and perhaps open up in their own lives too, if they're fortunate enough to
2: find people like you guys. Oh, you're exactly right. I'm so fortunate. I thank Andrew every day for marrying Amanda. (laughs) Every single day, we click. When I brought the concept up about invisible tears, they got what I wanted it to be about. I didn't want it to be just about the Connecticut River Valley murders and him, the monster that that, that killed these women and attacked me. I didn't want it to be about that only. Yes, we do want to still... Remind people these are unsolved cases. Nobody has ever been arrested or or charged or or anything with these cases. These are unsolved cases. But Amanda and Drew really understood where I wanted to go with this podcast, with sharing my story. I didn't want to just share my story. I want to hopefully help people. They've been like totally supportive of everything I've wanted to do with this.
5: And thank you so much, Jen for your for your observation and, and your nice compliments, we don't take that lightly. I know I can speak for Drew too in this capacity that we were honored when Jane came and approached us and wanted to do this project. We know what she's been through. Um, we didn't know all of it until we started doing this project, but we know some of what she's been through. And we know that her completely trusting us with doing this project with her, it meant the world. So we all, we all love each other. We're all family. It was just really important to us and really meant the world that she trusted us with this project, with the project that she had the terms of that it was, you know, she was speaking freely for herself. And throughout this, the listeners are going to really be amazed by some of the episodes. I mean, Jane's been so completely transparent with a lot that she talks about and that's brave.
3: Yeah. And I just want to call out the fact how important it is for for Jane to have a voice and tell her own story, it's especially like in this true crime space, you have other people talking for the victim. I mean, either they're not here anymore to talk for themselves or it's too difficult or you you know get a big production company involved and they kind of spin it in a way that doesn't settle right with you. But this is Jane and her friends and Jane's own voice telling her story. And I just like don't want that to be missed how important that is
5: invisible tears first and foremost it's a platform for truth and healing because it's not just speaking jane's truth and anything that jane needs to put out there or wants to put out there for the purpose of helping people it's, it's a platform for healing and truth
1: and we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors
5: we took it all
0: And Jane, I know you've gone through quite a journey. You've experienced nightmares?
2: Nightmares is definitely uh, a symptom of PTSD. But since I started healing and started uh, receiving counseling and and, uh, therapy about 12 years ago, I started, they've pretty much um, gone away. I, I don't experience them anymore. If I do, they're very, very few and far between. That's a good sign to me that I've done a, an enormous amount of healing with with that. The first 20 years after my attack, I really felt like I was living a normal life. And then when I started receiving uh, therapy and counseling, I quickly realized that my life was nothing but it was anything but normal. I, I was like in a... a um, victim mode. All the symptoms of PTSD were there, but I was trying to ignore them, trying to, um, I guess, go into survival mode, I guess is what it was. So when I started counseling, it was as if I had to totally strip myself naked and rebuild myself. I had to address every single one of my symptoms of PTSD. There was nightmares. There was anger. There was paranoia. I was scared all the time. I I had anxiety, depression. I've attempted suicide a couple of times. So I had all these symptoms of PTSD. And so I I really had to address each and every one of my symptoms. And with doing that, I, I totally had to rebuild myself. And it was, it took about seven years of a, a really intense counseling. And then I, I finally realized, oh my God, I just became the person I always wanted to be and didn't even know this was the person I wanted to be because I was living for 20 years in such a facade life. I thought it was so normal for me. So now a- after doing all that healing, life is so much better. It's I'm happier. I'm I feel more confident in myself. I have a better relationship with my kids and my husband. It's just improved my life so much.
1: Wow, that's a really good description of uh, going through something like that, uh, like breaking your, like stripping down, breaking yourself down and rebuilding yourself. And it made me think uh, about this question that is going to be really tough for me to ask because I really don't know exactly how to ask it, but I'll, I'll try. And it's sort of like a multifaceted question. Do you think that Your life, the way you are now, is better than what you would have been if the attack didn't happen. And here's the other facet to that. Does it matter?
2: I was 22 when I was attacked. I was really young. I hadn't really experienced a whole lot in life. I guess I was kind of gullible. I was 22. I mean, I didn't know about serial killers. I didn't know about... That there was a serial killer in New Hampshire never even crossed my mind. But don't forget, back then there was no internet, there was no social media, so you only knew what you read in the papers. Basically, I liked to party. I liked to hang out with my friends. I, I did what any normal twenty-two-year-old liked to do. I wasn't scared. I wasn't paranoid. I, you know, I was fearless. After my attack, obviously that all changed. But if I think about my life today compared to when I was 22, I've learned so much about the world. And unfortunately the dark world of, um, you know, crime and violent crime, serial killers. You know, I, 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 I don't think I would even change or wanna change the path that my life has been on. Yeah, I wish I was never attacked. But I also got to think about all the life lessons that I've learned over the over the 30, you know, 34 years and how I've grown from that and how much stronger I am. And I I don't know that I would change anything life is a road of of learning and experiencing and you know making mistakes and and you know learning from your mistakes so i i don't think that i would change anything other than you know the attack i often ask myself why me why was i attacked and i look at myself today and i think because throughout the journey of my life, the past 34 years and where I am today and starting this podcast and wanting to help others, that's why, that's why I, I was attacked because there was there was a plan for me. And I believe what we're doing now with the podcast and with Amanda and Drew and sharing my story, I think that was the plan for me.
0: Did you ever consider moving out of the area while you were going through uh, your healing process?
2: No, never, never. My husband Dennis he he grew up in this area I, I never that never that never crossed my mind. It's basically it's a small community. it's basically safe. there's no real major crime. Oh, I love this community, I'd never leave it.
0: That's a great call, and I agree. Does any part of you think it could have been a little easier
2: to heal if you had? Me avoiding certain places, like avoiding the store I stopped at, Gamarlo's, or avoiding that road that I drove down, or avoiding even this the town of Swansea, that, that wouldn't change what happened to me. It certainly would have helped me mentally, It would still be there.
0: And you mentioned Gamarlo's. That was the store that you were attacked in front of. Do you still pass by that store? Do you still go to that store?
2: (laughs) I shop there all the time. (laughs) It's crazy. I do. I shop there all the time. I even park in the same spot that I was parked at that night. It's just, I don't know why it's never bothered me. I I can't explain it. It just it has never it's never bothered me. Now if I see the vehicle that he was driving that night Or just, you know, a similar vehicle to that. That bothers me. Or it used to. Used to make me very paranoid. And every time I saw it, I would look at my rearview mirrors and wonder, oh, is it turning around to follow me or whatever? A quick little tidbit about the geographics too. Fun fact, most of Invisible Tears is
5: actually recorded about a quarter mile from Gamarvos.
3: That brings up like another point, Jane, um, that I'd love for you to speak on. Since you were attacked and all of these other women were murdered. This has been unsolved. And what does that do to you as a victim of a crime like this, not knowing who did it and not having any justice for this many years?
2: It makes me angry. I often wonder, you know, where is he? What is he doing? Is he still alive? And it makes me angry that he got away with it, you know? These are still unsolved. Nobody has ever been convicted of of murdering those women and attacking me. And it angers me. That's another thing that we're going to touch on the podcast is the investigative part of my attack and where the investigation has gone or has not gone throughout the years because I feel like it's just they've been forgotten. All these cases have been forgotten. It's unacceptable. I think there's been a lot of missed opportunities of solving these murders in my my attack. It just makes me so mad and I can't even imagine how the families feel, how they must feel not having answers, any answers. And that's one of the reasons why we want to do this too is to um, you know, let people know that these are still unsolved. There was a specific suspect all over the internet. I guess he's still on there. One of our episodes is we're going to discount him and give more explanation about him and why he's on the internet as a suspect. But there's other suspects too that I don't understand why they haven't been looked into more. I think it's unacceptable that 34 years have gone by plus because the other women were were murdered before my attack and there's still no answers. There's still no arrest. There's still, there's, there's nothing. I just don't understand it. It, it. it baffles me.
1: So the first, I guess, confirmed murder, part of the Connecticut River Valley killings was in 1978. And your attack was 1988. So that spans 10 years. And to everyone here, like to all of our knowledge, there hasn't been another suspected attack by this individual that's is that correct
2: as far as i know yeah i was the last victim of this connecticut river valley killer as far as we know so who knows when we do the show maybe other victims will come forward to do with their story saying oh well i had this happen to me by this individual but i got away
4: it does seem like a lot of the focus really is just looking north and south along the i-91 corridor However, if you do kind of look east and west of the 91 corridor into the eastern side of New Hampshire main area, there are a lot of killings during that time period that do sort of fit with, you know, stabbings of females and stuff like that, that currently aren't being looked at as part of it. But that is one of the deep dives that we're doing. Is kind of, are there other attacks that can be attributed this killer or can they be discounted
0: completely we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor
1: and a thank you to our sponsors back to the program internally we've discussed why the connecticut river valley killings don't get the attention of say the golden state killer or the son of sam or ted bundy etc etc i think part of it and we were talking about this part of it might be because the focus uh speaking of geography isn't in connecticut it's the connecticut river valley it's the connecticut river and you just mentioned the corridor up there drew can you just elaborate a little bit more for the uh, folks out there who aren't familiar with this area and when you say east and west of where is this section
4: yep so it's known as the connecticut river valley killings because of how the connecticut river runs from northern points of vermont and new hampshire right directly in between the states down through massachusetts connecticut and dumps into the Long Island Sound. And there's also a major highway, I-91, that runs perpendicular right in between New Hampshire and Vermont. And that's where a lot of the sort of killings, where the bodies were either kind of went missing or were found, are definitely within, you know, 15, 20 miles of I-91. So I think that that's how it sort of got the name. Yeah, really people as, you know, authorities, you look at any message boards, all that stuff, People are really just looking at, OK, what happened right along that that interstate, but not realizing there's also what about the other interstates that are running east to west? So out towards the east coast or the, um, you know, the seaboard of New Hampshire and Maine, there's definitely some stuff that was happening um, around the same, same time period.
0: Do you believe there are other murders attributed to the, uh, the group of killings?
4: I do. There is a couple that when you look at the time period and how the bodies were found, how they were killed, it definitely should be looked at a little bit further. Um, and when you do talk with some residents that are up a little bit north of us, really in the heart of where the killings took place, there is a belief that there are definitely more involved and it is more eastern side of the state that some of the stuffs you know, might have happened.
2: It just amazes me the amount of unsolved murders and missing people and crime there is between New Hampshire and Vermont like right now there's a serious issue in New Hampshire with missing people and bodies coming up and and they're finding a ton of bodies along the Merrimack River there is a serious issue we believe there's at least three serial killers active right now in new hampshire
1: and is this a topic that's going to be discussed on the show as well
2: oh absolutely yeah we'd like to have what we call almost like
4: headline episodes where we are talking about the newest involvements or activities that are happening you know up in this region because yeah we know there's the merrimack valley there's the um definitely a little bit older but there's older couples up in maine uh men disappearing in the Springfield, Massachusetts area, which is also right along the Connecticut River. So yeah, we also want to not only talk about Jane's case, but kind of what is currently happening to try to shed some light into it, get some more information to try to make those a little bit more accounted for. Uh, Right now, whenever you read any of the articles, it is Oh yeah. So once you know, this body was found in the river, we don't expect any, there's no suspicious activity. Then the following week, another body, another body will be found and it's not suspicious. So
2: that's the famous last line in all the articles. Not suspicious. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so mad when they put that in there and they put it in there so soon, like the person will go missing. They'll find the body within a week. It's, Oh, it's not suspicious. Did you even investigate anything? I mean, seriously. They have a serious problem, and um, we're definitely going to try to bring it to light.
1: It's always interesting to me when law enforcement doesn't or the press won't release information, but they'll release information like not suspicious. I mean, it's a very specific thing to say, and it feels very deliberate. And I wonder if it is suspicious, but they say it's not suspicious just because they don't want people um, looking into it for whatever reason. If it wasn't so tragic, it would be hilarious. You can have bodies just rolling into the river and rolling out dead and it's like, oh, well, that just probably is, you know, they were fishing. I don't understand how, like, a, a dead body at all is ever not suspicious.
2: I'm not, I'm, not I, I'm a podcaster. What do I know? Yeah, we want we want to pr- bring more light to these, these cases and let people know that, you know, somebody out there knows something and maybe people will start coming forward and maybe they'll start taking these cases more seriously if we get the, you know, start talking about it and and get other people talking about it because it's just it's it's disgusting to me it angers me
1: drew are you ever intimidated being in between these these two women i mean
2: (laughs) i just sit back
4: and let them go sometimes and just sit back and laugh um throw in my two cents every you know now and then and or try to rile them up by saying something just completely wrong just to get them to crack
5: oh and he knows how to do that (laughs) it's a great question lance though because i mean and especially with with knowing us i mean both jane and myself we are very strong personalities but luckily for drew he knows how to appropriately interact with the both of us um and he does it seamlessly he walks away he just walks
2: away quietly
0: now jane as far as your attack goes do you feel that the investigation left a little bit to be desired Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I do. Especially as the years went on. I mean, uh, they had so much info at the beginning and I don't want to discount that they didn't investigate this or they, I, I don't want I don't want to say they didn't investigate this or they ignored some of the stuff I said, But they had a lot of info. They were in contact with me a lot the first couple of months. They didn't tell me that it was possibly a serial killer that attacked me. I read that in the paper, which I thought was like totally wrong. They should have come to me and told me that. The years went by and I stopped hearing from them. And I would periodically call them, hey, what's going on with with my case? Anything new? Da-da-da-da-da. No, no, nothing new. And they did have my, m- me on the cold case files for a long time. I don't know, about a year ago, maybe. All of a sudden, I was taken off it. Well, two years ago, <laughs> they had contacted me and wanted me to go in to be re-fingerprinted because they got fingerprints off my car. So they were going to call me back, let me know when to go to the state police barracks to get re-fingerprinted that was two years ago. I still haven't heard back from them. So it's like, I think because it's a cold case and all these are cold cases, I think they're kind of like not giving them the attention that they should or, or, and giving my case, the attention it should, because it's just, I just don't hear from them anymore. And when I, when I call up, they don't even know who I am now. It's been so many years and all new people on the, in the um, detective unit. They don't even know who I am anymore. They've had a lot of missed opportunities to solve this, or at least get more involved with the, the investigation, and come up with more suspects or whatever. We're, we're gonna be talking about that <laughs> a lot, about law enforcement and, and how they've uh, investigated my case and the other cases, yeah.
4: And about all the uh, flooding that seems to happen in a lot of the police barracks, where evidence is being held and stuff like that. So
2: all of a sudden, all my evidence disappeared with no explanation. I mean, we're talking a flipping windshield. <laughs> it's like so. Um, yeah, we plan on trying to get some more some answers to all these these questions with this stuff. So they had your windshield. Yes, because I smashed my windshield when I was trying to kick him off me. So they took my windshield out and they saved it for evidence, but it's gone. DNA is gone. Um, I don't know. Evidently, they still have fingerprints because they said, you know, a couple of years ago, they wanted me to get re-fingerprinted. So I don't even know if they have them or not. Maybe they figured out they don't have fingerprints to compare. So that's why they never called me back. I don't know, but we're going to find out. There was a lot of evidence. It was my shirt and they say it's all gone. They lost it how do
1: you lose it? Sort of a head scratcher there. It's a windshield. I mean, I get like maybe they have to like make room for things, but it's still like rent out a storage unit. I don't know. Like figure out another way to keep evidence. It's it's very frustrating. I'm sorry that that's happened. And it only gives me hope that all of the material that's going to be in Invisible Tears is going to be so valuable. If law enforcement's losing evidence or they're just like misplacing it or, you know, they can't figure out how to not put it in a place where it's going to get flooded and damaged. You have your experience. You have Your mission. So if all of this has led to Invisible Tears and and its mission, I think uh, listeners are going to be in for a treat.
2: Well, what's crazy is this is common. This doesn't just happen in New Hampshire. This is common that they lose evidence. And it's just crazy. It blows my mind. It's like, this is important stuff. I don't care if you have to keep it for 50 years. You never know. I mean, that person has that one job of the evidence locker or whatever you want to call it that's their one job how does this stuff just go missing i i just don't get it i just have one more question
0: if it's okay the car you were attacked in were what did you do with that after you were attacked
2: oh i kept that i drove that after that was my firebird (laughs) i love that car 85 firebird loved it they came in professionally cleaned it obviously it was full of blood and stuff and um yeah, I kept it. I, Dennis wanted to sell it. I was like, no, that's my car. Um, you know, this monster took everything else from me, and he's not going to take my car from me. <laughs> I, I, right. I kept my car. I like to just, before we leave, I just want to mention the other victims, say their names, because it's important. There it was Kathy and Elizabeth and Eva and Ellen and Bernice and Linda. And Barbara, these are victims of this monster. They they will be one of my focuses on on this podcast because we're definitely going to learn more about who they were. It's as if I um, I've known them for 34 years. It's as if we have a connection. They don't have voices because they they were brutally murdered. And I'm going to try my hardest to be their voice.